Thank you for listening to the Hillsview Men's Ministry. We are a group of men building relationships to equip and encourage each other. So when Cal called shortly after that, it kind of came clear what I thought I wanted to share. It's been in the bulletin. Um, someone just asked me, well, what does that title mean? Well, that was kind of the point. You were supposed to be curious. And we're going to have a dialogue today, a give and take, and ask some questions. You don't have to answer, but I hope you'll answer them in your head and in your heart. But about a day ago, this thought came, and I was, so I want to, intro, I want to have an, this as my introduction, that it's very humbling to be called to speak to the men of this church. I hope you understand what that kind of means. This is my conviction. I'm not sure I have the exegesis or the systematic theology for this, but the men of the church are important. I hope you take that to heart. I hope it's not, whew, I'm important. More likely, you're humbled by that thought. You know, Jesus could have come as a woman. He chose to come as a man. Hmm. Why? Let it be said that the woman is more wonderfully and fearfully made than we are. He is. She, they are the best of his creation. Amen? But he chose to come as a man. And I think that's important. He also is a God of order. And, you know, he, for some reason, decided that the sun would come up in the east rather than the west. And he hasn't changed that order for a long time. I think he probably could. Order is important. Who's the head of the church? Hmm? Christ. Christ, right? Who then, in the order, we have some military people here. <laughs> so we call him the commander-in-chief. Yeah. It all flows through him, isn't it? And then what's the order underneath that? Well, I suggest it's the body of Christ or the church. But what's the central element of the church? The family. Right? What is Hillsview? It's just a gathering of families. Right? And within that family, there is the head of the home. And a lot of people have abused that doctrine and made it into something it isn't. But I think Pastor Ron has done a really good job of teaching on that. There is a head of the home. Who's that? Any of you the head of the home? Yeah. So, I would just propose to you that the spiritual life of the church flows through Christ to the men of the church. And then to the family, and then to the uttermost parts of the 
Do I hear an amen? Amen. It's kind of a big deal, isn't it? So when you come to men's prayer breakfast, it's not really a club. It's not really just a habit. This is where the men of God gather, humbly before him to learn of him. Amen? So I'm going to read a prayer to you. You want to bow with me. This was in Ephesians, and Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, men of Hillsview, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I always pray that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may grant you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation that gives you a deep and personal and intimate insight into the true knowledge of him. For we know the Father through the Son. And I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being, may be enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit, so that you will know and cherish the hope, the divine guarantee, the confident expectation to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and so that you will begin to know that the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power is in us who believe. There are these are in accordance with the working of his mighty strength, which he produced in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, whether angelic or human, and far above every name that is named, above every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and world, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in every realm, in every realm, in subjected under Christ's feet, and appointed him as a supreme and authoritative head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills and completes all things in all believers. Father, we just come to you today, and we come as empty vessels, saved by grace, through faith, not of ourselves. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to reveal to us the miracle of our union with Christ, our union with our brides, and our union with you. We ask for revelation, that this group of men might be the seed of revival within our body, within our families, and within this community for you have an order of how you desire to express yourself. And we pray that we might be humbly see it today in some small way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, another passage I think is really, really important that I like to kind of lead with anytime I'm talking to anybody. It's Colossians 1.9. And it says, For this reason we also, from the day we heard of it, have not ceased to pray and make special requests for you, asking that you may be filled with the full, deep, and clear knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom, in comprehensive insight, 
into the ways and purposes of God and in understanding and discerning spiritual things. What that tells us is that it takes the Holy Spirit to understand spiritual things. Have you ever run into that? Maybe in your own life? All of a sudden, the veil has been lifted and you see something that's been there for the longest time and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit goes, huh, right? Huh. Or you've had that conversation with an unbeliever and they're just not getting it, right? So understand that there is a discernment about things that only comes from the Holy Spirit. Next point that I'd like to make, and you'd all agree, words are important. What you say and mean may not be what is heard. Is it true that cults use our Bible to build terrible things? They got the same words written on paper as we do, right? So words, the real meaning of the words, is important. And the Bible tells us that we need to know those, those true meanings. But he says, do not seek them without my help. I will reveal to you what they really mean. Well, I caution us that sometimes we use words and don't really understand what they mean. So today, we're going to spend some time thinking about words. I'll give you an example of words that can mean one thing, and the same thing, same words can mean something else. Ever heard of the verse that says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart? Familiar with that? Huh. Well, let me tell you what that means. If I come to church, make every Saturday uh, men's Bible study, read my Bible in the morning, witness as many times as I can, delight myself in Christian community, I get everything that I want. Now, did that, those words, could I interpret those words that way? Absolutely. Delight yourself in the Christian community and his work, and, and you'll get the desires of your heart. Or, delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? I get desires. I don't get my desires. I get desires. My desires come from him. He gives me the desires that he wants me to have. Huh. Well, I kind of want my desires. <laughs> Which is true. Here's another example. The Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. Do they all kind of start with that? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not whatever, right? Well, most of the Christian community and a lot of people who have rejected Christianity say, well, you just tell me what not to do, right? Have you ever said to your kid, thou shalt not come in at midnight, <laughs> right? That's a prescription of how to live your life. And have we ever called the Bible basically a guidebook? Yep. 
It's a prescription on how to live your life. Do the Muslims have a prescription on how to live their life? Yeah. Are people living their life using our same Bible as a guide to their decisions? Do the Mormons use our Bible? Are they pretty moral, good folks? Yes. Yes. But they don't believe in the divine nature of the Son of God. So you can take the Bible, and you can take thou shalt not, and use it as a prescription for your life. Or, if somehow God would miraculously come to live inside of me, wouldn't his laws and his character now be written on my heart instead of on some wall or some plaque? And would it now be my nature to not steal? If you have my laws written on your heart, thou shalt not what? Whatever. Is it the character of Christ to not commit adultery? Yeah. So if you see the Ten Commandments as a prescription of life or a description of my new life in Christ, are those basically the same words but different perspectives? From the very beginning and even today, in every one of our lives, there are two trees. In the Garden of Eden, there were two that were named. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Depending on which tree you're feeding off of will interpret the word of God. One is based on rules and laws, external. The other one is based on character and laws, internal. Do you kind of see what I'm going for? There is this mystery. So when we start talking about words, let's let the Holy Spirit reveal what he may really mean. Okay? And let's understand that there is a deceiver, the head of the kingdom of this world, that has been twisting God's words from the very beginning, is he still in that business yeah. of twisting God's words, yeah. right? Yes. So let's pull together, brothers, and find what the word of God means. Okay? Can we trust him for that? Okay. First question. The title of the message was, Miraculous union and the deception of separation. What's a miracle? Anybody? You get a Tootsie Roll answer. <laughs> What's a miracle? Something a human effort couldn't produce. Something that man can't do. It's a supernatural event outside the Say it again. What is it? 
It's a supernatural right? thing. Something God does, right? And man can't. Supernatural, meaning above me. Only God can do it, right? So miraculous is something only God can do. It's not something I can do. Something only God can do. Have we got miracle in our head? What's a miracle? Something only, say it with me, something only God can do. Okay? So what is union? Miraculous union. Anybody? Two Tootsie Rolls. Connection. Huh? Connection. Connection? Together. Together? Interesting word, isn't it? This is what a lot of our Christian lives and our perception of truth is like. And the deceiver has made us believe. And the more he can make us believe this, the less we will understand all that he said in Ephesians 1 he wants us to know. You have in front of you cups, right? You probably had your own cup. Grab another cup. I want you to have two cups. So, how many of you have ever described your walk with God as being... Close. Feel really close to him. Well, Pastor Ron, he really has a close walk with God. Our elders, God bless them, they're walking close to God. Well, how many of you, in your honest opinion, feel like you're kind of far apart from him? Have you ever felt that? He wasn't so close? Or that I had pulled away from him, or that he had pulled away from me? Is this honestly something that you felt? Yes or no? This is closeness. This is... Is that really the way it is for the believer? What does he say took place? Is it this? And we might even fall off the table. Can't get back on the table. Anybody heard that doctrine? Oh, no. (laughs) Yes, I have. Is this what it is? Or is this what it is? Go ahead. Take your cups. Is this what it is? Or is this what it is? Huh? Is it this? Amen? Okay. That's not just our opinion. Apparently it's in the Word of God. Colossians 1.27 To whom God was pleased to make known how great for the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ within and where? Within 
and among you the hope of realizing glory. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, but the person who is united, is that a synonym of union? United to the Lord becomes how many spirits? One spirit. There isn't his spirit and my spirit because of my decision to surrender to his spirit. I have one spirit. I don't have two. One spirit. Huh. Would it be a tactic of the enemy to try to convince you that you are separate from him? I believe it is. It says in John 10:38, but if I do them, even though you do not believe me or have faith in me, at least believe the works and have faith in what I do in order that you may know and understand clearly that the Father is what? In me. This is Jesus. The Father is not close to me. No, he is in me. Okay? And I am somehow in the Father. Would that be some description of union? Miraculously? Can anybody but God do that? No. So, he goes on to say, Do you not know that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Make that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be one in us. Somehow there's this miraculous union that takes place. Again, how? By your commitment? We're talking about that. Said by grace through faith, not of yourself, this happens, right? This union takes place. Who says it's true? Jesus says it's true. How do we know it? Because he wrote it down, and his Holy Spirit has to convince us that what he said is true. That means I have to put my faith in it, doesn't it? Okay. What else is a miracle? How many of you have children? Are they a miracle? Did you create them or did God? Oh yeah? I thought you were the one that had sex with your wife. <laughs> that didn't make a child? Doesn't always. Does not always. I remember this couple friends of mine, they were having sex. The seeds were being exposed to each other. They were just bouncing off, right? I thought sex made babies. I grew up on a farm. Turn out the bull, get a calf. Right? No. Two have to become one, don't they? The seed of the father and the seed of the mother come together, but only God makes it right. What did Jesus explain to Nicodemus when Nicodemus said, how do I know eternal life? Well, it's like being born of the water. What's being born of the water? 
right? It's like that. So two become one. And it says in 1 Peter, it actually uses this terminology. So don't say Mark was talking about sperm this Saturday morning. <laughs> well, it is. He said, the divine sperm impregnated my spirit. And it became a brand new child. Are you a child of God? Why? Because you were impregnated and you had a new birth. Do we believe in new birth? Is that part of our doctrine, Mr. Elders? We believe in a new birth, right? Well, how does that happen? Illustrations have a tendency to break down, so I'm going to admit that right up front. Is this illustration a good one for union? Why? Can't see how it could be put together. They're all together, aren't they? They could be separated. Separate pieces. Ah, what a good group. I can pour these out on the table, right? And I can separate the big rocks from the little rocks. But sometimes we go to weddings and they say, we just became one. Well, you really just became in the same house, right? Same bank account. But did they really become one? Sometimes the illustration is used is a rope. Right? Is this a good illustration for union? Think about it. Quarter of three strands is not easily broken. Not easily broken, but can it be? Can I take these rocks apart? Can I take this rope apart? So it breaks down, doesn't it? When I want to define union. And if I'm trying to understand my union, my oneness with Christ, is this a good illustration? It's an excellent illustration about what he made. Because he made me body, soul, and spirit. Am I one person? Yes. Is the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but one God? Yeah, those are good illustrations, aren't they? But not for union. So the Bible says that in us is a temple of the Holy Spirit, the Holy of Holies. Let's call this your Holy of Holies. You with me? That's a place. It's in you. That's your spirit. Is it contaminated? Is it dead? Yes. Are we all born into this world with a spirit, a place for God? Is it born dead to God? Yes. How does it become alive? God has to come into it. What happens? Duh. Come on, guys. What happened? Whiter than snow. Now, that's a great illustration for what happened to my sin. What's it a better illustration? 
I can pour this out and separate those stones, can I? If I pour this out on the table, can I separate the water? Once made one, can I undo it? If this is the Holy Spirit coming into me, makes forgives me, but what else does it do? Fills me with his life, right? Amen? Amen. That's union. You can't take what God puts together apart. If Dave decides he doesn't want to be his mom and dad's son anymore and moves to Bangladesh, has a sex change, changes his name, tells his lawyer to disavow any connection to his family name, who he was, and Dave dies. And we bring, his son brings back his ashes and takes him down to the lab. Does Dave still have the DNA of his mom and dad? Can Dave separate himself from what God made, even if he tries to? Once you're birthed into the family of God, can you separate yourself from what God has done? You can if it's up to you, right? But if it's God's doing, you can't. Didn't we say that's a miracle? So what do we have? This or miraculous union? The Bible says that all things have passed away, all things have become new. Where did that take place? In my body? Anybody get a new body? Mind. Anybody get a new mind, will, and emotions? That's taking place over our journey with Jesus. It's called sanctification. But did any of you get a brand new spirit that cannot be separated from God that is holy and blameless? Yes or no? Yes. Do I have to put my faith in that? Does sometimes the enemy tell me, well, there's no way you can get back in touch with God? If you believe this, yeah, that's a problem. i got to work closer, right? But if you believe this, nothing can separate me from that. And when that sin that easily besets me hits me for the 457,000th time, is there anything that can separate me if he said that, his forgiveness was finished on the cross and that he did that before I ever committed any of those sins. Why do I know that? Because of union. Follow me? This is my anchor. I am one with him. Who said that? I didn't say it. He did, right? So I need to remind myself when the evil one comes and tells me you're just not you're just not able to do this. Okay. What makes me a Christian? Example. I thought all Americans were Christians. No? Not true? Okay. Huh, I had heard that somewhere. I thought it was true. Um I signed up at Hillsview that I'm a member. I must be a Christian. 
Is that right, Dave? Well, you stated that you were when you signed the form. <laughs> <laughs> God, always the technical doctor. <laughs> okay, you know the answer. I do. Yeah. I'm not, am I? Okay. <laughs> Did a denomination declare that I was going to heaven because I went through certain catechism and rituals? Is that why I know I'm going to heaven? No. Really? Know anybody that believes that? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Huh. Would they be deceived? I came forward at a Billy Graham crusade. That's, I told you that when I wanted to be a member of your church. And you go, huh, good for you. <laughs> Did that make me a Christian, yeah. Mr. Elder? I'm committed to Christ, to his ways and his teachings. I follow his guidelines. I'm committed to Christ. Mr. Elder, am I a Christian? You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. No, I didn't ask for that. I told you I was committed. Words matter. Words matter, don't they? I didn't say what you just said. I said I'm committed to following the rules of your church, of your religion, and I'm really good at it, by the way. If you want to follow me around. I'm a Christian because of grace, through faith, not of myself. It was a gift. How am I doing now? Yes, get better. All right. <laughs> Foolish and senseless kills you men. You started this thing by grace through faith, not of yourself. Why are you not trying to finish it by how hard you're trying? Right? Did the deceiver come into the Galatian church after Paul had made it real clear and started to tell them what? It's grace plus. And got him off of this reality. Right? Now, if this is my reality, am I going to go out and commit adultery? I might, but not from this source. Right? Am I going to lie? No, not from this source. If I'm surrendered to this source, can I? No. Paul said in Romans 7, thing I do, I don't want to do. What's the not wanting? This. Right? Because my spirit is in union with him. Is my soul, not completely, getting better, hopefully, day by day, right? How do I get better? By trying harder? No, usually by surrender. <laughs> you know, usually by giving it up. Okay, is there a kingdom of heaven and a kingdom of this world? Yes. You agree? Absolutely. Okay. Does the spirit of this world have anything in common with the Holy Spirit? Think about that. Who's the spirit of this world? Satan. Does he have anything in common with the Holy Spirit? Yes. He does? Invisible. Okay. Okay. But by character and nature? Can you mix those two like water and oil? 
this Holy Spirit and the enemy spirit. What happens if I had water and oil up here? They would not mix, would they? You cannot mix that which is, belongs to God with that which belongs to this world. Okay? You can be in the same room, but you can't mix them. Would you agree? Think about that one. In which kingdom, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of this world, can two gay people be married? You're a little touchy here. Which kingdom can two gay people be married? Clearly the world. I won't answer the rest of the question. In which kingdom can two dogs be married? Huh? Did you, know, did you know that the Guinness Book of Records is that um, two dogs got married and they spent $175,000 on their wedding? In this kingdom of this world, two dogs can get married. That means they can file tax returns together. That means they can buy a house together. That means they can be called married. Did you know that? Can two unbelievers be married? Oh, I'll take a minute. Think about that one. In which kingdom can two unbelievers be married? Kingdom of this world. How many of you have a marriage license? Good. <laughs> I don't care. Does the IRS care? Yeah. You can't file tax returns. Right, Mr. Financial Planner? I can't file tax returns with another person, whether they be female or male, or dog or cat, unless I have a marriage license. Right? And it says I can now go buy a house with the other person named on that license. I have a legal standing to essentially do business in this world, right? If they tear up that license, can I still buy a house with somebody else and own it together? It's a different kind of ownership, might be joint tenants or whatever, but can I call that a marriage relationship? I can. So is the answer, can two unbelievers be married? Yes. Can two unbelievers be married in the kingdom of heaven? Think about it. Is there, in the kingdom of heaven, in your marriage to a believing spouse, is that done in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world? Can a believer and an unbeliever be married in the kingdom of heaven? 
I'm not going to answer these questions. You're going to think about them. Can a believer and an unbeliever be married in this kingdom? Yep. They don't ask you what your religion is when you go get a license, right? They don't ask you about your relationship with Jesus Christ when you get a license. So can a believer and an unbeliever be married in this kingdom? Can God join together a believer and an unbeliever? It's a really good question. Can water and oil be mixed? Physically, can they have sex? Yep. Can they have a soulish relationship, have feelings for each other, make decisions together, even have the same mindset? Yes. Can this happen? Does this happen with your believing spouse? Is there something supernatural about your marriage with a believing spouse? I think you need to dwell on that a bit. I have. I think it's a really important question. Do Christians have a different kind of union than two unbelievers do regarding the word marriage. Did Jesus use the term marriage to describe me as his bride? And who is he? Bridegroom. Why did he pick that example? Because it's important, right? I am married to him because of a supernatural act, right? Of two becoming one. Am I married to my spouse, my believing spouse, in some supernatural way? Was God part of that marriage? Or did he just endorse it? It's worthy of a question. Union, miraculous union, I think it's an anchor to our soul. It is important. When I see myself in union with Christ, in the deepest, most inner part of me, I have eternal security. That which God joins together, I cannot take apart, right? That's a miracle. That's something only God can do, and he's done it for me. Has he done it for you? If he has, nothing can separate you from God. Nothing. Why? Because this took place. Because of the new birth. Because of two becoming one. I would hope that you would have a bit of a revelation that your union with your believing spouse is more than a contract. It's a covenant. A covenant is not a contract. A covenant involves God. Contracts don't have to. When God made his covenant with Abraham, you know what happened to Abraham? He went to sleep. He wasn't even aware of what was going on. 
God made a covenant with Abraham and all of his seed. Has God broken his covenant with Abraham's seed? Huh? No. Many of us believe no. Has his wife, Israel, walked away from his, her husband? Yes. Has God pulled back his protection and blessing on her when she was just basically dispersed to all the world? I think so. But he says, I will restore her in terms of that blessing, in terms of that intimacy, to my covenant with her. And he says, I will be the king of kings and lord of lords of Israel. Right? When he comes back. So the covenant, who else went to sleep when God did something miraculous? Would you say it's a miracle to take a rib out of somebody and then make a brand new person? Is that a miracle? Mm-hmm. Is that anything that you can do? Let me know. I want to be there. <laughs> be interesting to watch. Who did that? God did, right? Did he take the rib out of a woman and make a man? He could have, right? No, he chose to do it the other way around. Is that a covenant only God formed between two believing spouses? Yes. And he says, what I do, only I can undo, right? Is your marriage with your believing spouse a covenant of two becoming one and no one can separate that? I dare say that if we just remember that, remember that this is what God has done with our spouse rather than oh sometimes I just we're just so far apart right no I can't do this is who I am this is who we are does the Bible support that for us to humbly ask God to tell us I believe that would change many marriages Christian marriages because too often we still see our marriage just like everybody else's right no it's different if I see my marriage with my bridegroom Jesus as this it's entirely different than this amen all right enough of that let's pray father we ask your Holy Spirit to finish the good work that he has started in us and that today we hopefully have heard your word and your truth I pray that you will cast out the words that do not come from you may we celebrate the miraculous union that we have with you our bridegroom Jesus and our believing brides in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.